0: MK Talk YA now presents The Queen of Nothing, Part 2 of the Folk of the Air trilogy by Holly Black. M&K Talk YA.
1: I'm Marissa Snyder.
0: And I'm Katie Bradford.
1: And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we finished the Folk of the Air trilogy by Holly Black. We read the second half of the last book, which was called The Queen of Nothing.
0: I still hate that it's called the Folk of the Air trilogy. Every time one of us says it, I'm like, what did we read? (laughs) I read the wrong thing or something. Folk of the (laughs) what? I think maybe if they all flew or something, it would make more sense to me or a fairy like existed higher instead of just like next to the human world. I don't know. but Well,
1: they never explained what Folk of the Air means. Exactly. I get that it's a a different word for a fairy but like that never came into play in the book at all
0: yeah and there are so many things that did come into like i don't know there are a lot of things that happened and names and things i don't know it could just be called the mortal queen series that would have given too much away it could be called Ooh, the. i kind of like that though <laughs> i know i actually really like it too maybe when we come up with our fan name we'll come up with a great better series name but <laughs>
1: (laughs) Did you think of a fan name?
0: No, but I'm sure something will come to us in the course of the next 45 minutes to an hour.
1: It always does. (laughs) So what'd you think overall? Okay. Overall, I really did like this series. I loved the world building. I loved the characters. I loved all the plot twists. I didn't like this last half of the book that much, though. Well, at least not as much as the others. Mm-hmm. Because I got it got to a point where some things felt a little ridiculous to me. Like, yeah, I did not expect Carden to turn into a snake. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't like the sex scene with Carden and Jude. And then I thought it was weird at the end whenever they're just all hanging out in the mortal world together, and Carden is like doing these very mundane things, like going to diners and having a pizza party in the mortal world to celebrate. Like, I. I don't know. I was just, it was such a leap for me to like see him out of fairyland and into the mortal world that I was kind of like thrown a little bit.
0: That's fair. And I actually feel like it was just rushed. Like, I really Mm like the idea of them being in such a good place in their relationship that he like wants to go home or, you know, wants to see where she's really from. And like, I also even get the fascination in the same way that mortals are fascinated by fairy, I could see someone because we kind of saw a glimpse of what it was like to be royal and like Cardin, you know, never really having freedom, even though he had all the freedom in the world at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know, when she was queen. And so there is something kind of that I, I could imagine would be a appealing about going to the mortal world and like doing this ordinary stuff but there wasn't enough lead up to it in terms of like him establishing he
1: hates yeah he hates mortals like the whole book was about how much he hates mortals and how they're like so beneath him and then you know he falls in love with a mortal but that's still yeah the
0: transition that's
1: still a far cry from like yeah hanging out in the mortal world and having a pizza party and like being super cool with it yeah
0: yeah and he should have definitely struggled with it more and stuff but yeah Yeah. And the snake thing, I agree, was like (laughs) completely out of left field. But I sort of love that about it because in this world where so much random magic rule, like all this stuff is possible. I love Mm -hmm. that there was something that could still throw everyone in the world for a loop. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's what I felt like the snake was. Like, you know, there were, uh, there's a lot with like curses and rules and prophecies and tricks and manipulating words and stuff. Being
1: tied to the land. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but I love that this was like sort of like, well, yeah, what the hell do we do at this point? (laughs) Because it felt like they had everything kind of aligned a certain way, and this was literally, like, the only thing that... Well, and it didn't have to be a snake, I guess, but also putting Carden kind of out of commission and letting Jude Mm -hmm. fall into that role of being the mortal queen and dealing with her... Like, making these decisions without him, I thought was a really strong plot point, but, like, the the fact that it was a serpent was just, like, yeah, I was completely... Shocked And like, where did this come from? But I also feel like that's how everyone else in the world was dealing with it, too. So it felt even though it was ridiculous, it felt like they weren't trying to be like, this is normal or I don't know. Right. right. Something about it still kind of worked for me. But yeah, I also didn't love the sex scene. So if those are all fair. I, I, I see what you're saying. But I just, I love the world and I love the pacing. And I felt like while I didn't love all the way all the ways things were tied up, at least I didn't feel like there were a lot of open-ended things at the end of it. And that made me really happy.
1: That made me happy too. I actually love how she the author resolved everything. Like I didn't really have that many questions at the end. Like pretty yeah. much all my questions were answered, which... It's rare for us. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah
0: so rare. <laughs> and that doesn't mean that I'm like done with it because I do I felt like it was very like I'm satisfied with the ending and that it was the ending but I still if there was another book set with them as king and queen or with Oak in the future or to see Taryn as a mo- like I'm still interested in their lives but it's not mm-hmm. like the open-ended but wait what about this whole like side plot in book two that wasn't addressed or something. Right. Which is which is really nice. So I think I... Well, I don't think it was like the perfect series or the perfect book by any means. I just really, really loved it, I
1: think. I agree. I, I just like... I liked that parts of it were unexpected. I I really, really liked the characters a lot. Like, I yeah. felt very invested in the characters and I felt like I really knew who they were and I felt like all of them were unique. And, you know, sometimes we, we read books where I'm just like, this person... This character could be anyone. Like, I don't really have a clear idea of their personality or who they are. And I felt like their
0: flaws. Yeah. Yeah.
1: All of these characters had good motives. They had they were well fleshed out. They are characters that I will remember. Which I Mm -hmm. think to me is like the mark of a good book or like a good series or or one that I really enjoy is when I remember the characters and think of them afterwards. And I know I will do that with this book.
0: And again, I'm just I I, this is like for some reason this has been my thing the last few series. It has to do with like pacing and whatnot but I am just so impressed we had three books they were all under 350 pages or so mm-hmm. I think they were all closer to 300 ish and so much happened but it didn't feel overwhelming or ridiculous we still had these moments where I f- Like, I mean, ridiculous things happen for sure, but it didn't feel like, oh, they suddenly learned the skill that they didn't have. Like, I don't know, something about like it all flowed for me and I didn't feel overwhelmed at any point and I didn't feel bored at any point. And I think that's a really hard thing to keep up for three books.
1: And honestly, I would rather be surprised and like taken aback by some things than Then bored. Like the sex scene, I didn't like the sex scene because I really didn't like the whole thing where like Jude takes all of her clothes off and then like gets on her knees and she's like, Isn't this how you imagine me? I was like, ugh. And then I really didn't like Cardin's tail. I really didn't like that. But then I was like, well, at least that's surprising, you know, like, at least it's not just like a forgettable sex scene. Like, I will remember that because there is a tale and (laughs) I don't you very rarely see non-human anatomy in a sex scene.
0: Yeah. Well, and it was. (laughs) It's funny because there were a couple moments also remember when she went into Carden's mom's room and she was talking about how she had the horns and she was like lying in bed she's like how is that possibly comfortable the way she's lying there but I guess she's always had horns on her head and I I feel like the way they dealt with these kind of like yeah non-human anatomy aspects of fairy world were actually really like they always kind of shocked me but then it was also like oh yeah like you can't just ignore the fact that like he has a tail and she has right. horns and like you know whatever <laughs> so it did like even I like couldn't get used to it even though I like in my mind I know Carden has a tail I kept forgetting until yeah I was stroking her calf and I was like oh oh, oh yeah you do have a tail like ooh, <laughs>
1: like makes me cringe. Sorry, Carden.
0: (laughs) Okay, I guess there was kind of one not really open ended because I I didn't feel unsatisfied. But so does the ghost like Taryn?
1: That's what I thought. They kind of hinted at that but they were like eyeing each other up at the end.
0: Yeah, but it just like that was the one thing that I sort of felt like was just kind of thrown in there and then not resolved. And part of me likes it because I hate when like, it would be too fast. I think if they went from like, oh, they kind of like started to notice each other to like, A week later, they were in love and married or something, you know, something ridiculous like that. But I also sort of felt like it didn't need to be there.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I
0: guess I I sort of forgot they sort of knew each other from before when he was with Locke. I guess I wish I had seen a little bit more of the development of it or a little Mm -hmm. bit of a flashback. Because it didn't feel like they interacted that much.
1: No, not at all. I mean, I think they like barely met. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I I do want, I don't want good things for Taryn because I hate Taryn, but I do want good things for Ghost because I feel like he has just been used so much and he needs to have, he needs to, like, take some control back over his life. So I think, you know, him getting a new girl is good for him. And, like, starting a new life would be good.
0: Agreed. So you still hate Taryn at the end of the day?
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not backing down on that. I will not forgive her.
0: I have not, I don't think I've fully forgiven her, but I don't hate her as much as I did. And it's more like I have stopped. I think I've just like come to accept that she's the worst. So it doesn't like, I don't think she's a good sister. I don't think she's a good person, but I'm just kind of like, okay, if. You're not, like, doing the absolutely most terrible thing ever. I don't expect you to do anything good. So, like, okay. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how to explain. I'm just, like, sort of, like, I've accepted that she's just, like, this is just terrible. Awful, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And sort of identifying her, because her and Jude, or Jude found a way to, like, use her strengths to help her. So I did like that Mm -hmm. she, like, helped with the image stuff. And I don't think it makes up for any of the previous things. And I still feel like they need to have a really long, deep talk about (laughs) the lock of it all and some of these other aspects and when she's like mad that Jude didn't tell her about Carden I'm kind of like why would she have or should she have or or even when would she have and all of that
1: she doesn't owe you anything yeah
0: but I don't hate her as much as I did the first two and a half books but I don't like her either
1: (laughs) and how did it end with or how do you feel about the ending with Heather and Vivi because we didn't talk about that very much in the last I think I
0: like it Yeah, I actually think I like it, and that would be one thing I'd just be curious to see where we ended up down the road, maybe, Mm -hmm. because it's still not clear how much Vivi is telling Heather at this point. Like, she's not supposed to be lying to her, but we don't know if she's been like, hey, I met you before, and I cleared your memories, and I'm a fairy, or if she's just like literally at the very beginning of courting her again.
1: And it might be because... Oh, did she clear her memories, though? Because I thought Heather said that... I mean, Heather originally said she wanted to lose her memories, but then I think she changed... Didn't she change her mind and say, like, I don't want to lose... So
0: she, she did change her mind, but she already made Vivi, like, swear, and Vivi can't go back on her word. So the way they ended it was... She did clear her memories, but Vivi is supposed to pursue her again, like anew, and... Tell
1: her the truth from the start. Tell her the
0: truth this time around, yeah.
1: And she has to go on, like, a quest to earn her love or something like that. Yeah,
0: so basically that's the quest. Like, win me back, because I'm not going to remember any of this, but do it right. Oh,
1: Okay. I like that. Yeah,
0: I really liked it. And part of it too might be, I, re- I recently read another book where it had like time travel involved and someone had to like keep pursuing. One person remembered like previous lives or whatever and one person didn't and uh-huh. they had to like keep reintroducing and like telling the story and like whatnot. And so something, I think maybe that also like primed me for like, oh yeah, that can be like a really great, I can work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do, and I also feel like it does give Vivi a chance to prove, to make up for it. Because I feel like it would be hard if Heather just forgave her.
1: I agree. I think, I think, I think Vivi has a lot of growing up to do, honestly. I think that she really takes for granted her role in fairy and is not aware of other people's suffering enough. Like, I think she lacks empathy right now. Totally. So I think she needs to do some growing and learn to respect her girlfriend and not glamour her. Yeah. And I think being with her sisters will help that.
0: I do too. But I think, again, that's probably, I'm still a little bit disappointed in her for it taking so long or not realizing things before because she did, she did love her sisters and she always like identified and wanted to be in the mortal world. But she still, to your point, seems kind of unaware of what it is to be mortal. Part of me is a little bit disappointed that she didn't figure it out sooner or like help her sisters more. But from a, from the book perspective, I'm glad it all played out and I felt like her character was truly her character and in some ways yeah you know your little sister that you've grown up with and like how would you even know to ask if you grew up in this fairy world and like your sisters mm-hmm. didn't tell you maybe but Heather's kind of the the perfect catalyst for that opportunity to grow
1: yes and I liked I liked Vivi's character even though she's flawed because she seems like a very real person to me like I could see her being a real character or like a real person And I liked that a lot of the characters in the book were messy and complicated and not black and white. Like they had a lot of different layers to them. And I think that's how human nature is. And I thought the author did a good job of like representing that. No one is perfect and everyone is flawed
0: yeah and honestly the way vivi was characterized throughout the first few books like it would have been out of character for her to do something different than what she did later so i'm glad she was true to who she was the whole time like i even loved when so there is a point after a becomes a serpent where madoc and the court of thorns and teeth or what What are they called again oh the court of teeth yeah the court of teeth come and try to make a truce and that's when they have the bridal thing to offer and and whatnot and the whole family's there and I can't remember if it's Matic or one of the court of teeth people or something but basically they're kind of like Vivi you like, it's not just us and Jude who are kind of, like, Vivi's out of the loop. Like, she kind of gets called on the fact that she's, like, so distant from, like, what's okay. actually happening in Fairy. And it was just, like, a, you know, one-sentence comment, and I don't remember it exactly. But I just, I do appreciate that it, it was, like, addressed.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's not lost on everyone. The Vivi's, like, totally checked out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And like kind of, yeah, she's oversimplifying. Like in some ways she has the right perspective, but she also like doesn't understand the complexity and layers involved in everything else either.
1: Agreed. Let's unpack the snake thing. Okay. Because, I mean, I did like that, you know, the author set up the whole thing with Grimson and how everything he makes is cursed. And so I liked that that actually came into play in the book because I wanted to see more of his objects you know wreak havoc on the fairy world and like now we know that he makes stuff that you know has has a curse attached to it or a hex attached to it i'm glad we saw that mm-hmm. i just didn't expect him to turn into a snake <laughs> but i do like that after cardin turned into the snake he turned on grimson and killed him because i was like yes that's a fitting end to be killed by your own invention yeah i agree and then the whole bridal thing yeah
0: I saw so many questions about that princess slash queen slash whatever lady and that would be an interesting kind of sequel story would be same world but Mm. having our main characters be secondary characters and kind of see more of her story. I didn't feel like Mm -hmm. unsatisfied with the book but that would be something where I would love to see a follow-up to.
1: I agree.
0: If she was being like enslaved or if she was like it was for everyone's protection or if it was a combination of the two or, you know, like, it, or if one led to the other kind of, you know.
1: Oh, the little queen, Queen Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. Because she was wearing the bridal before and she yeah. had, like, scars from it. And her father says that the bridal, which was made by Grimson, too, it can control anything. So they were definitely controlling their daughter
0: which seems like an obviously bad thing, or you know, like abuse of <laughs> right. power, like terrible thing. But then once she's free and her mother's like punished or whatever and has to like swear loyalty to her, and you see her like smiling with the pointed bloody teeth, and like mm-hmm. you're sort of like, oh, is she just because she was she shouldn't have been enslaved doesn't mean that she's, like, all good and... True. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm kind of curious to see what she grows up to be.
1: Yeah, me too. Like, I mean, maybe there was a reason they were trying to control her. Yeah.
0: And again, the way they handled it was probably still wrong, but it's not like she was necessarily just, like, a sweet little kid that they were... True. I don't know. Yeah.
1: But I also liked that Jude was tempted. Oh yeah. to take the bridal because like she would be able to control Cardin and, ha- and have complete, you know, power over him. Mm-hmm. And I liked that she thought about it seriously for a minute
0: and I also like that she knew enough to be like there's got to be a trick followed up with a couple of these people found out that they were also trying to control or at least um lord what's his name Court of teeth guy was trying to control yeah. her and that she had she made like an audible decision right she like went in with like I don't know what I'm gonna order for dinner let's just see what comes out of my mouth or at least that's how I think of it you know I don't know if I'm gonna kill him or if I'm gonna put it on like up until the point where she's there she has both options she has hair from multiple other people so that she can control multiple other people mm-hmm. and i also think it's kind of interesting that in some ways cardan ended up setting that great example because he was the one who was like i'm not gonna keep up these loyal oaths and i'm not gonna expect to be your king because i wear this crown right mm-hmm. like he sort of was the one who first broke this idea of control being what makes a leader
1: yeah he broke the crown
0: yeah which i was not expecting and lo- i did love that as a character move for him,
1: and I do like that um the prophecy kind of came true. You know when yeah when the prophecy was like, "Oh, Carden will be the destruction of the crown and the ruination of the throne," and he like literally tore the crown in half.
0: Yeah, and we were right though about the spilled blood. We were like,
1: yeah, doesn't necessarily
0: mean he has to spill all of his blood.
1: <laughs> right. I liked that we were we got that prediction right because when she when
0: did not think he would be a giant snake though. <laughs>
1: No, I didn't think that. And but and I also didn't think that Jude was going to cut off his head. Like, I thought she was just going to, like, maybe stab him and spill some of his blood, but she really yeah. went for it. <laughs> but then as soon as she did that, I was like, okay, Carden's going to come out of there and be fine, and yeah. a new ruler will rise, and it will be him. Yeah.
0: Although, okay, so this is the one part about prophecy stuff I didn't like, because when Grimson said nothing could be done, he was like, no true love's kiss, no whatever, whatever, only death. And I guess technically the snake did die. But I feel like that wording was misleading. That's where I started to second guess myself. Where I was like, Mm. he technically said death. And then I was like, maybe it doesn't have to be the snake's death. Maybe the person, then I thought maybe Jude would have to kill herself to bring him back or something weird like that. But Mm. I was expecting the snake to like, eat her and she's kill it at the same time I don't know I don't know Ooh. what I was thinking but the fact that he actually used the word only death or whatever made mm-hmm. me a little bit like oh, that's not very tricky enough that <laughs> sounds like a straight up death
1: <laughs> yeah and also like um with Maddox too I was a little misled because I thought whenever Maddox told her that she has to bind her hair to the bridal Mm-hmm. But then Mother Marrow is like, Well, if you do that, you'll be bound as well. And Jude's like, Oh, crap. He was trying to trick me. I thought she was going to use Maddox's hair and like pretend like it was her own and like bind Maddox's hair to the bridal to be able to control him.
0: Well, I think that if she put it on Cardin, she would have used Maddox's hair instead of her own and had them both. And I think she also got the Lord of the Court of Teeth's hair as well. Yeah. But I also.
1: But then she didn't use any of it
0: yeah but i think she still had it too at the end remember when she was passing judgment on Maddox? she still had the bridal and she said like i think didn't she give him kind of a choice too
1: about oh yeah because she was like
0: or maybe it was the lady of the court of teeth but she used it again or she mentioned she referenced it to one of them
1: well she banishes Maddox to the mortal world
0: to the human world which i also love
1: I like that, too. That
0: would be a fun quick scene to see, too. Him adjusting to the mortal world. Oh, my, oh my gosh.
1: It would be so funny if he was, like, an accountant or something. Like, yeah. if he was, like, working a desk job. <laughs> He's, like, a used car salesman or something. <laughs> oh, man. But I, I liked that she didn't kill him at the end. Like I did, you know, I kind of like that she didn't end up killing her dad.
0: Well, honestly, I like the way she dealt with all of the judgment passing because it felt it didn't feel too forgiving because that would have been weird too. Mm-hmm. Like if she just like was like, "Oh, let's all live in peace now" or something. But I feel like it all made sense. Like, the people who said, I messed up, could basically rejoin, but their hands were dyed blood red so that everyone would still know that they had been traitors. And the traitors who, like, didn't regret what they did got turned into falcons or something, right?
1: Yeah. And then she said, they'll only regain their true form if they hurt no living thing for a year and a day.
0: Yeah. And they
1: were like, well, how will we eat? And she was like, you have to rely on people people's kindness. I loved that I loved that, too. What a great punishment.
0: Because it's also like, yeah, you could just... I mean, you can just be a falcon if you're happy with that. Like, you know, you can Mm -hmm. eat and kill and do whatever. But if you want to come back, like, you have to go through the sacrifice thing and rely on other people and whatnot.
1: It was fitting. And then what happened to Lord Gerald? He died. Of the court of... I I totally missed that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think... um, I can't remember if Grima Mog killed him or if she saw him die, but, like, during that Mm -hmm. battle... Okay. They had a moment, and then he ended up dead.
1: (laughs) Okay. I totally missed that somehow.
0: Yeah. Because there was still a battle, which I also am kind of glad about, even though I think it also, like, some... Something bloody had to happen.
1: Oh, for sure. In this world. Yeah. (laughs) And I like how it ended with little Oak crowning Hardin and Jude because Oak never wanted to be king and I kind of liked that he has the chance now to kind of live hopefully a normal life.
0: But there's still the idea that he he is their heir, right?
1: I think so. Yeah. So.
0: I mean, but that's, like, gives him the time to... Like, if everyone's on the same page this time about if and when, they'll pass it on. Yeah. And he can live so much longer than Jude, so it's even like they can... Okay, but that is the one other thing. So Carden and Jude are in love and happy right now, Mm -hmm. but Jude has a substantially shorter lifespan than Carden. Mm -hmm. I was expecting... I think I predict- predicted this a while ago. Carden to either, like, become mortal or Jude to somehow become immortal and then to, like, align their timeline differently.
1: Yeah, you did predict that. Because we we both were like, will she end the series mortal or, or not?
0: Yeah. They also said something, though, about if you stay in fairy, you can stay forever young. It's just when you go back to the mortal world that your age catches up with you. Mm. And I was thinking because the, the old advisor to the king has been there forever right? Oh, true.
1: <laughs> yeah. vow, Oh, whatever.
0: So I guess maybe if she stays in fairy, she can live a long time.
1: I think that sounds right. At least,
0: but I'm still kind of confused because then there's still all this talk about, well, you're mortal and da, 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 da. so, but whatever. And we're still not completely sure how magical she is. Obviously she is magical because she also cured um, the roach
1: Oh, right. Well, she's like tied to the lands, you know?
0: Yeah. But people keep, or I think Heather or someone was like, so does that mean you're magical? And she was kind of like, I'm not really sure.
1: <laughs> I have to figure some things out. Yeah. She
0: hasn't figured out like the limits or the the uh, boundaries or abilities or what that means. So I'm mm-hmm. that would be another thing that I'd. Again, not unsatisfied with any open endings, but would want to see if I got a glimpse into the future again.
1: That would be fun. I wonder if she has any plans to write any more in this world. I don't know. Yeah. Be a good question.
0: Well, and again, I haven't read any of her other stuff, but I'm curious if any of it... I just, I, I want to read more of her stuff in general. Oh, me too. I loved her writing.
1: I did too. I, I, I thought she was a great writer, really. Yeah. I mean, to put all this together was no easy task and i think she kept my interest the whole time and i was never really that confused about what was happening for the most part and so i'd say like well done yeah what, what would you rate it if we're gonna do a rating
0: okay how many um rulers no how many ragweed ponies would you give it?
1: <laughs> out of 10
0: <laughs> sure
1: <laughs> i would give it eight
0: i was gonna say eight too actually I think I gave it five stars on Goodreads this last book, and I think I gave the first one five stars, but I can't remember if I gave the second one four or five stars. But I mean, like in general, I really, really liked it.
1: I was around there too. Yeah,
0: I um again there, it's not necessarily my favorite that we've ever read, but I thought it was just like solid all the way through, really enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Pacing was great. The characters were great, and I feel like it would be easy for a lot of people. Who are, who are kind of into the genre to get into. You know, like totally. some of the ones that I really love, I feel like you need to like really like really certain love things. YA, first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like this one, as long as you're kind of open to like, fantasy a little bit I could like recommend it to a lot of different people
1: I agree and you know what I feel like I have been converted back to liking fairies
0: I know okay so I didn't feel as strongly as you did before but I really didn't know much about fairies and probably because you aren't a fan we haven't really explored other books about fairies but now (laughs) I'm sort of open to it like maybe we should try a different one later this year
1: I'm willing to do that I'm willing to give fairies another shot (laughs)
0: Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, so I was thinking that one because we had goblins in that music one, that duology we read. I think season one. Yeah. And that one wasn't one of my favorites, and that was kind of it wasn't quite fairy fairy, but it was still in this
1: in the realm. Yeah, it
0: was the fairy realm, right? Because goblins are a type of fairy, and I would say that didn't make me want to read a lot more of this stuff because I kind of thought it was all like that, like sort of that dark gothic kind of. I don't know, but this, I yeah, I enjoy. It was fun. It was funny.
1: It was fun. It was funny. I. It was. It had good humor in it, which like is we don't see all the all the time. Yeah. It was clever. Yeah.
0: I liked it. Okay, but here's another question: Would you, given the opportunity, go to Fairy, or would you stay the hell away?
1: I would stay the hell away. Right? I. I would never go.
0: I feel like most of the time when we see like a fantasy world, I'm at least interested in going or I feel like now that I know enough about how certain things work, like I'd be fine there. Fairy, no matter how much I know, I'd be like, I would die in a in a week.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs> and
0: even if I didn't die, it would be terrible the entire time. Like I'd lose limbs and be turned into a cat and like whatever.
1: I would eat that fairy fruit and lose my mind.
0: Yeah, I would dance until my feet fell off. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you can keep it. <laughs> you can keep Fairyland. I'm gonna happily going to stay in the mortal world. Agreed. Um, did you do any research? Really... <laughs> yes, I did, actually. Be. So I didn't do a ton, but I was very interested in the whole bridal controlling Ooh. the snake yeah. scenario. And I think they compared it in the book. I think they mentioned it where they said it's similar to luring a unicorn and like bridling a unicorn to contain it and so i just started doing some research into like the lore of unicorns and how they're captured i love this Uh, yeah i thought it was actually really really fascinating because i i didn't know a ton about unicorn lore i thought like i mean i I, i'd always heard the story of like a virgin has to lure the unicorn into a forest or something like that here's the origin story of the unicorn we
0: haven't read any stories with unicorns have we No. We should totally try and find one with a unicorn.
1: The first reports of the unicorn date back to the 4th century. There was this Greek physician who was recording tales that he had heard of from travelers. And um, he said, There are in India certain wild asses, I guess he means donkeys, Mm -hmm. which are as large as horses. Their bodies are white, their heads are dark red, and their eyes are dark blue. They have a horn on the forehead, which is about a foot and a half in length. And he said the horn was red, white, and black. Interesting. Interesting. I know. So there's uh, lots of different cultures that have legends of beasts similar to unicorns.
0: Are they are they usually like good? I feel like when I think, you know, like there's some not always creatures that I feel like are good and some that are bad and legends. And in my mind, unicorns are like this happy, good kind of creature.
1: I think in some they are, but because in some they're like pure white and they're a symbol of purity, whatever. But I think they're also meant to be pretty dangerous.
0: That's fair. Okay.
1: Um. So in Chinese lore, the unicorn had a 12 foot long horn on its head Ooh. and a coat of five colors, which were all renowned for bringing good luck. They also described it as... How would you go
0: anywhere with a 12 foot horn off your head?
1: Very good question. You like can't
0: turn the corner. <laughs>
1: You can't do much of anything, yeah. Yeah. Some people described them as a very small, like a baby goat's, and they said that it wouldn't stand much above knee height. Okay. (laughs) Which I think is kind of funny. Like, could you imagine a little unicorn about the size of your knee? Yeah.
0: That would
1: be so cute.
0: It would be so fun to have one. Toby
1: and him would be best friends. Banjo would be terrified.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a lot bigger than Banjo, still.
1: (laughs) True. Like I said, Uh, Unicorns were symbols of purity because they were often depicted as white in, um, like, Western literature. But they also are said to be very vain. So Hmm. they'll spend, like, hours admiring themselves in mirrors or in, like, their reflection in lakes. Like, they will just be completely enticed by their own reflection. (laughs) love it that's hilarious but they are really powerful and wild and they said that they can only be tamed by um the cooperation of virgin girl who has to set a trap for it so what you first do (laughs) if you
0: (laughs) want here's how to catch your own unicorn
1: (laughs) perfect first you have to find a forest where unicorns are known to live and then you have to clear a place a quiet place for the cooperative virgin to sit down. So usually like a tree stump or a fallen log. And then she's supposed to wait quietly. And unicorns will be drawn to her presence.
0: Oh, that sounds relatively simple.
1: Yep. And so eventually a unicorn will wander into the forest and there's, they um, say that it will lay down and lay their head in the maiden's lap. And then if she bridles it, then hunters can come who are like lying in wait and then they can come and capture or kill the unicorn. And I don't know... Well, the reason you'd want to kill it or capture it is for its horn because the unicorn's horn was valued for having magical powers they said that the horn could purify rivers and lakes that were polluted it could also neutralize poison so a lot of royalty like kings and queens were obsessed with getting a unicorn horn because they had fears of being poisoned Mm -hmm. by like rivals or heirs and this is kind of interesting in a story there was um i I don't know if this is real or not but there's a story about how king james the first of england wanted to determine whether or not a unicorn horn he purchased was authentic and so he had his favorite servant brought to him and he told him to drink this poison poison liquid, to which he had added the powdered horn of a unicorn. So the servant drank it, and the king was not very happy when the servant died almost immediately. Oh my goodness. And so that's how he realized that the unicorn horn he purchased for a lot of money was not real. This is
0: another reason <sighs> why I wouldn't want to be the servant to a bad king. Nope. That seems like something Cardin would do.
1: <laughs> oh my god, exactly.
0: But also good for him for not just trusting it, <laughs> I guess, maybe testing it
1: do it on someone else though something else a worm <laughs> there's also something kind of interesting so there were this thing called bestiaries that were published long ago and they were basically um books of strange um cryptoids or cryptids Exact, like essentially of you know beasts that were said to exist but there wasn't really any concrete proof. And I thought this was fascinating. I tried to find some online. I didn't really have too much success, but medieval bestiaries are totally a thing. And they are just like stories of imagined creatures. And apparently... These books, these bestiaries, so- were extremely popular in the Middle Ages. And they were the second most popular book sold after the Bible. Hmm, wow. And it's so interesting, like, because there were a lot of animals in them that were completely fabricated. But then there were also animals that were real. And it kind of helped lay the groundwork for zoology as a field. Oh, wow. <laughs> but here's, like, some things that they really got wrong. So they said that um, the beaver was said to chew off its own testicles when pursued by hunters. Don't know why they thought that was real, but that's what they said. They also said that the asp, like the snake, the asp could resist a snake charmer's song by putting one ear against the ground and plugging its other ear with its tail. Oh. Which, like... Interesting. Clearly a snake's not going to do that.
0: Can you imagine if it did though? That would be funny to watch.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know. So like they were entirely incorrect, but it at least like got people interested in like reading about animals and like being fascinated by their biology and by their characteristics and behavior. But it's okay. there's There's a salamander that they said was fireproof and poisonous. Crocodiles can be killed if you put a serpent in their mouth. And then the serpent crawls into the crocodile's stomach and then bursts through the reptile. That's how you kill a crocodile, apparently. (laughs) That sounds easy. (laughs) Yeah, but I guess, like, they also painted these very detailed pictures of animals and described them in ways that people started respecting them. Okay. Oh, they said that foxes hunt by rolling themselves in mud, in red mud, to appear bloodstained, and then they would flop over on their backs and hold their breath, and then when scavenging birds came to investigate, they then would pounce on them and eat them.
0: To be fair, we have read about animals that basically do things like that. True. But not foxes.
1: <laughs> I'm just, like, so curious about, like, who wrote these bestiaries, like,
0: yeah, where this came from, yeah. Did they
1: actually observe animals doing this, or did they just want to create a book of, like,
0: Were they just, like, inventing things out of their yeah. brain, or did they misin- were they misinformed somehow?
1: Or were they just trying to be entertaining? Like, yeah. it's fascinating like if anyone can find a bestiary online let us know because <laughs> I want to read all of them
0: did you ever watch the movie the last unicorn
1: no I read the book
0: oh I didn't even realize it was a book that's terrible of me that was like one of my favorite movies when I was little the oh, last Unicorn. it's a
1: really charming book I should read the book
0: I should relive it but, but yeah that's what I was thinking of too when you were talking about unicorns but I would totally read this book because also, did you ever get those when you were little? Like those, the zoo, like... Mag- zoo books. Ma- mag- Yeah. I or like those little magazine things that National Geographic used to put out that were yes. like...
1: Yes. And you would put them in a binder?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh my God, I had every single one.
0: My cousin is three and really into animals, so my... Well, my cousin's actually the mom, so my second, whatever. But, so they've been getting, like, finding a bunch of old ones for him to look through, and I'm like, oh, these are the best. I, like, used to do this too when I was a kid.
1: Oh, I would spend hours reading them, and I but I hated the insect ones. (laughs) And so I would always, like, cover the picture of the gross insect and just read the words and then, like, flip it really quickly so I didn't have to look at them. I hated the (laughs) insect ones. Love it. Oh, but I love those books. Those are, like, modern-day bestiaries. (laughs) True, yes. A lot more accurate, too.
0: What did you research? So I focused on the snake. Um, mm. And part of what we were trying to do was everyone thought if they killed the snake, they would be the like de facto ruler of the world. Uh, fairy world, but no, everyone just kept dying and they weren't sure they were trying to like track it and they weren't sure what to do. So first I started with like, what do you do if there's a snake in your house and you need to get rid of it? But that wasn't really all that interesting. There's a bunch of different traps and basically you should just be careful because if they're agitated or hurt, they'll lash out. And if they're poisonous, that could be bad. And if you get bit by a snake and you're not sure if it's poisonous, call animal control, all these, you know, things you would think of. The funny thing was, I guess shooting a snake is thought to be a good idea, Hmm. but this how to deal with snake thing I was reading was just basically like, in a lot of places you're not allowed, there's like restrictions for hunting animals. And if you're in an urban environment, like you probably shouldn't use a firearm. And unless you're a really, really good shot, like be careful.
1: That'd be easy to miss the snake and maybe have something ricochet and, you know, come back and hit you.
0: Yeah. And again, all of this is basically like, if you don't kill the snake and you hurt it, it's going to be very, very upset. Yep. (laughs) But there are different traps and in general, they say like, try to steer it away or capture it and move it to a... Like, they don't recommend killing snakes because they also do good things for the world. So that wasn't really all that interesting. So then I started just looking into serpent mythology in general okay and i know that's something heather was doing in this world which i also loved some of her research that she found about like oh what are the you know people who turned into snakes or how snakes interacted with people and magic Mm -hmm. and snakes and all of that so this is kind of interesting in scotland the highlanders had a tradition of pounding the ground with a stick until the serpent emerged and then the snake's behavior, I guess, would tell them whether or not or how much longer the frost would be. So it's kind of like the groundhog yeah, like day. The groundhog, thing. Yeah. yeah. But I also just love that it was like they were hitting a snake emerging from a hole in the ground with a Uh, stick being hit reminded me a little bit of this legend with the, or of how the sword fell and the ground split open and Mm -hmm. then the crown broke and blah 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 so while I said I thought of unicorns as good in my like childhood mind, I feel like I always thought of snakes as bad even though they can do good things for the world and there are a lot of like, folk magic and voodoo and hoodoo and stuff where the snake is used as an instrument of harm. Mm. So um, there's a lot of customs where if you're trying to, like, curse someone or something like that, you use snake blood or Mm. or something. So there was... Uh, this one tradition where if you extract the blood from a snake by puncturing an artery and then feed that blood to a victim in food or drink, snakes will grow inside them. So if you got what? the snake blood and then like cooked it into something or like mixed it in their wine, you snakes would grow inside them.
1: That's terrifying. I've never eaten a snake. I've never had I've never tried snake before.
0: I feel like I have once but I can't remember specifically so I might be making it up but I mm. feel like I have at some like western Arizona like rodeo yeah. or something <laughs> thing.
1: Like rattlesnake skewers or something like
0: that. Yeah because people do eat snake. I think I, sure. I think I have had it before but I don't remember it that well. Um, So there was this Root worker in South Carolina who shared a story about how if you wanted someone to get sick and die, you used a snake that you tied a piece of their hair around. And then if you kill the snake and bury it in the person's yard, they'll get sick and sick they're like sicker and sicker because the hair binds them to the snake which I thought was interesting too because oh that's just like the bridle the snake binding hair stuff um there's a lot in the Ozarks about snakes and children being tied together so I guess there was this woman who heard her kid like talking outside and just assumed he was talking to himself and she came outside and he was feeding milk and bread to a poisonous snake um and in different versions of the legend it's like a rattlesnake or a copperhead or, or various things and she went up to kill the snake but they warned like all, all the people in the area warned that the child's life was somehow connected to the snake now and that if the reptile is killed the baby will also pass away within a few weeks so shit yeah so i guess if you feed a snake bread and milk let the snake live
1: you'll be tied to it for life yes
0: that's that's <laughs> what that's what they're telling me
1: i will not do that
0: and then there was a an egyptian myth that after Ra created everything Isis the goddess of magic tricked him by creating a serpent that bit him while he was traveling over the Mm. sky and he was unable to undo the poison, but she said that she could heal him um, and give him the like ability to destroy the serpent. If he revealed his true name as payment, but obviously as we know, if you know someone's true name, you have control over them. So he was freed, but then Isis had power over him after that.
1: I love this idea of a true name because that came, up in this book, too, and it's yeah. just like, is everyone just going around using a fake name and it's not their true name? And like, what it must be.
0: And who does like your parent give you your true name, or right. how, how do you, you find you your true name? true name?
1: Yeah, do you just come up with, I mean, because if your parents know it, then they would have control over you. Yeah. So is it just like, who gives you this true name? Do you pick it yourself? Is it like bestowed on you in a
0: dream? Yeah, like, yeah. what
1: <laughs> I'm so curious. Oh, I should have done research into that.
0: Yeah, maybe we'll have to do more fairy stories and then we can research that in the future. (laughs) But yeah, so there's, I mean, some people actually associate snakes with like fertility and things like that, or eternity. The idea of a snake grabbing its tail has been around for a Mm -hmm. long time as like a symbol of eternity. Um, But here is a story of a young girl who was tricked by a snake man. This reminds me of the story that Heather found. So one time there was a young girl who was very good looking, yet years passed and she never married. But at last, a handsome young man, a stranger, began to came around and talk to her and she started to like him and decided to go away with him. Mm -mm. They traveled for a long time until they came to a big lake. And here, the man went into the water and she had to follow him.
1: Nope, that's your first red flag.
0: I know. Once she was beneath the water, she realized it was just like air and she could breathe it. So they traveled on a long way and ended up at a house where an old woman lived and she said, I can't believe you brought her here. She can't live with us. But the young man (laughs) insisted and they stayed and lived together. Every morning he would set out to hunt and return in the evening with a deer on his back and things continued on for a long time. But one night the girl woke up and she thought she saw a great snake in the house. So she was scared and ran out and the young man followed her and caught up to her and he was like, why did you run away? She said, I saw a big snake in the house. And he said, no, that wasn't a snake. That was just my clothes. And then... Ew, like he shed his skin? I... Or, but he was, or like, you know, in the middle of the night, you just miss, you just saw my clothes lying on the chair and thought it was a snake or something. But yeah, it probably was his actual clothes based on what we'll find out. But so then this happened like a few more nights periodically. And so she decided she needed to escape because something was not right. clearly She used to, you know, go and get firewood and she'd start wandering further and further away on her, firewood gathering missions and trying to learn about the area and one day she started right after the young man left on his hike and went a really long way before she was discovered and she was discovered when she heard a hissing and a noise like a snake but then it was the young man who appeared And she made some excuse about just wanting to see what was over that hill. But the next time she ran away and she heard the hissing noise of the snake, she thought of her dream helper the weasel and called on him to save her. So the weasel ran into the snake's mouth and down into his body where it cut out its heart. So the girl was able to reach the shore of the water. And when she emerged she realized that she had been underwater the entire time. But the thunders were waiting for her and carried her up into the air. But when they took her up into the air they were rubbing her body and every time they touched her, snakes dropped from her into the water until no. at last she was clean and human again and there were no more snakes so they took her back home and and she told all of the people in her original village what had happened, but she said that she <laughs> had to stay and live with the Thunders from now on. Um, and that's where... Who were the Thunders? I don't know, but I guess this is the origin story of the of Thunder or something, because she said, oh. I-, I will tell you when I'm coming, because when a cloud comes up, but it makes a rolling or rumbling sound, that is actually the sound of my garments, and that means I'm with them. Oh. So, that's like the Thunder story.
1: Oh, man. But I
0: don't know why why she like went underwater with a snake, but I thought it was just interesting because it had some, you know, Jude was underwater for a little bit. Yeah. I don't, just certain aspects of the story reminded me of things in, in our story. So there are a lot of interesting legends out there about snakes because they're in lots of places in the world. So
1: what was the origin story of that? I mean, where was that from? Where did it
0: come from? I think it it was like a Native American story from Oklahoma, but I don't know the exact tribe or anything.
1: Interesting.
0: I just sometimes like go down this. As you know, I just start clicking things and then I end up with random.
1: Down a big snake hole. Random stories. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: Exactly. (laughs) I end up underwater.
1: Oh, I love it. Yeah. So yeah, we're done with this book. Uh, I'm going to be Sad to leave this world behind. What would you want to see as a movie? Your scene? Mm, like, what scene would I want yeah. to see in a movie? Um, I mean, I really want to see the underwater scene. I, I really oh. like when... um, I'm just fascinated by Orla and Nicas- in Nicasia, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, I love the scene where um, Nicasia comes back and she, like, arrives with an army to back Jude and she's always, like, riding on the back of a shark or something like yeah. that. Like, I... Would love to see the underworld.
0: That would be cool. I didn't think about that. I still feel like my favorite scene, though, would have to be one of these giant parties just because, like, Mm. the music and the mania and the different creatures and the outfits and the food and just, like, all of that would be... I don't think that was, like, my favorite part plot-wise, but I think it would be my favorite visually.
1: Yeah, that'd be very cool. Cool. Okay, we need to think of a fan name. Oh, yeah. Um, It's the time. (sighs) The only one I could think of was since we have been like reading this book and we've been like enamored of it mm-hmm. and it's kind of like fairies have been influencing us and tricking us, we could be the, the glamored.
0: Ooh, I actually really like that. I was trying to think about humans in this world and I could, I was trying to think of like Heather had a name or something, but yeah. I like the glamored. The
1: glamored. Okay, let's do that. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. And it sounds like without knowing what all that means, it sounds mm-hmm. glamorous.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, that was easy. Okay, and
0: and that would be the only way we would go to fairy, as we've already said, we'd have to be tricked because we wouldn't go willingly. So no, should we should we talk about our next book?
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. Goodbye,
0: Holly Black. For now, we'll see you again
1: for sure. Um, okay, so our next series is going to be Ash Princess by Laura Sebastian. This is a trilogy, and the last one actually. Just came out in early February, so it's a pretty recent series. The three books are called Ash Princess, Lady Smoke, and Ember Queen. Um, And I have it pulled up if you want me to read a little bit about the back. Yeah, please do. I'm excited. Okay, here we go. Theodosia was six when her country was invaded, and her mother, the Fire Queen, was murdered before her eyes. On that day, the Kaiser took Theodosia's family, her land, and her name. Theo was crowned Ash Princess, a title of shame to bear in her new life as a prisoner. For ten years, Theo has been a captive in her own palace. She's endured the rentless... Relentless abuse and ridicule of the Kaiser and his court. She is powerless, surviving in a new world, only by burying the girl she was deep inside. Then, one night, the Kaiser forces her to do the unthinkable. With blood on her hands and all hope of reclaiming her throne lost, she realizes that surviving is no longer enough. But she does have a weapon. Her mind is sharper than any sword. And power isn't always won on the battlefield. For ten years, the Ash Princess has seen her land pillaged and her people enslaved. That all ends here. Ooh. Ooh, I love it. Yeah, I'm already in. I love (laughs) stories of people trying to reclaim a lost throne. Yeah. I'm very into that. Yeah, this will be good. So I'm excited. And I love, and I'm glad it's a girl. Me too. With a sharp mind. Yeah. I hope the world is good. Me too. So we are going to read up to, we're going to read halfway through the first book for next, for the next recording, or the next episode Um, And that chapter is called Doubt. So if you're following along, read up to chapter Doubt.
0: And then tune back in.
1: Yeah, in two weeks. We'll be back. (laughs) We'll be back.
0: Sounds like a threat, not a promise.
1: (laughs) It might be a threat, (laughs) depending on how good the book is.
0: (laughs) Do you want to hear a joke? Yeah,
1: of course. Always.
0: Okay, so I looked up snake jokes because I was in this snake mindset this week um and a lot of them are kind of like this but why did the snake laugh so hard that she started to cry mm, i don't know she thought the joke was hysterical <laughs>
1: that's so bad
0: this one's also bad but it, there are a lot that have to do with like hissing. Mm-hmm. this one is a little bit different how do you measure a snake
1: from tip to tail in
0: inches they don't have any feet
1: oh <laughs> Oh,
0: I like that one. That was good. Those felt very Mm dad-ish.
1: Well done.
0: We had, um, my aunt, now she has two boys, I don't think this still works on her, but when when I was little, she, um, was really scared of snakes, and we used to always do things like, you're so silly, Jackie, and stuff like that to, like, get under her skin, but now I think her boys have cured her of this fear (laughs) of just the sound.
1: (laughs) That alone would trigger her. (laughs) I like snakes. Yeah.
0: It used to, I used to get in, like, big trouble if I, like, held my S <laughs> around her. I
1: don't have a problem with them. They get a bad rap. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys want to get in touch with us, uh, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com.
0: We're also on Facebook and Instagram at mnktalkya. Come check it out. Please do. Share your stories, true or false, about animals.
1: And if you come across a bestiary, please let us know.
0: Yes. That would be really, really cool. All right. Bye,
1: bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelphy, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening and see you next time.